We live in the information age. Literally, anything that you really want to know is available at your fingertips. Yesterday, a friend and I were out at the airport working on an airplane, not the one that made an emergency landing. Um, we were there when it happened, but we were working on an airplane, and what we were doing is we were trying to adjust a new digital fuel computer that's supposed to show fuel pressure um, to whatever the right settings were going to be. So the first thing we did is we cracked open the uh, engine manual, and we looked, engine manual said nothing about what the settings should be. Next thing we did is we cracked open the pilot's manual, looked, pilot's manual said nothing about what things were supposed to be. So finally, we pulled out our phones and we Googled engine fuel pressure gauge for this type of airplane, and sure enough, right there were all the settings that we needed to program in. We live in the information age. Anything you want to know is accessible right at your fingertips. You just have to know how to type it in right. But that's not wisdom. That's not true wisdom. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And what we're going to see as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is that there is unimaginable wisdom available to us. But when we talk about wisdom, what we need to realize is that there is a wisdom that transcends what the world calls wisdom. And to the Christian, that wisdom is knowable, at least in part. And so in our life, we should prioritize real wisdom, transcendent wisdom, the wisdom of God. We've been in 1 Corinthians now for a couple of weeks. And what we first saw was that we are called as Christians to Christ. That is our first and our foremost calling, is a call to serve Christ. We're also called to unity, to serve Christ together in an attitude of unity. Today, what we're going to see is that we are called to serve with wisdom. We are called to wisdom, not the wisdom of the world, but God's transcendent wisdom. You see, it all comes down to the gospel. The gospel is the central thing that we have. It is the wisdom of God. It is our foundation. Human wisdom is limited. It will fail you. It does fail you. God's wisdom is different. God's wisdom does not come in displays of brilliance. Human wisdom often does, or at least has the appearance. You see, it often involves facts, sometimes misses the truth, and human wisdom almost always focuses on the self. God's wisdom is different. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16, and I want you to listen for God's wisdom. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. 
These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person within the Spirit, sorry, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. In Greek culture, in the city of Corinth, there was a deep desire to learn. The learned were considered the high class. There was a significant investment. If you had wealth, you hired private tutors for your children so that they could learn. It was all about learning the wisdom of the age. But Paul, in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2 that we talked about last week, he comes to Corinth and he says, I didn't come in displays of brilliance. Rather, he came with a message a message of the gospel. And so that is what we should have rooted in our mind as we dig into this passage. First of all, in verses six through eight, what I want you to see is that Christians need to realize that there is a wisdom which transcends the wisdom of the world. You can spend all of your days learning everything there is to know and have barely scratched the surface of what there is to know. But there is a wisdom that transcends all of that. Paul begins his argument by noting that the message of Scripture is wisdom for the mature. Who are the mature? In the context, the mature are those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. The message of Scripture is wisdom to those who have made the decision to accept Jesus as their Savior. If you have accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, you have placed your full faith in his death on the cross as payment for your sins, then you will recognize the wisdom present within Scripture. Those who have not accepted Jesus often fail to recognize the wisdom. And that is part of a natural way of of how knowledge is handled. You all have a job that you do. Have you ever told somebody about some detail of your job and they just don't appreciate like what you just told them? Amen. Yeah. That is part of you have a nuanced understanding of your job and other people don't. The Christian, the person who has accepted Jesus as their savior appreciates scripture in a whole new light because we understand the message of God's salvation. And so Paul writes, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. So let's try to dig in and understand what is that message of wisdom? What is it that stands so far above the wisdom of the world? It's not 
wisdom that's a secret. It's not something that's only for pastors to know. It's not something that you have to have gone to seminary to understand. It's not something that you have to at least be 25 years old to be able to understand. No, the wisdom of Scripture is the gospel. And I'll make that argument as we go. The first thing in verse 6 that I see is that the wisdom of the world and those who prize the world's wisdom have an expiration date. This age that we live in today has an expiration date. There is a time coming when the things that are so valued by our world will be gone. There's an expiration date on this. The rulers of this age have an expiration date. We're all born the same way, with nothing on, okay? And we all leave the same way, with nothing. There's an expiration date. God's wisdom does not. God's wisdom is eternal. Look at verse 7. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. God's wisdom is eternal. The gospel is eternal. The message of the gospel, we are all sinners. Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, not a sinner. He died on the cross, paying the price for our sins. We can have eternal life if we placed our full trust in Jesus. That's the wisdom of Scripture, and that is an eternal message. Paul says, no, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden. Prior to Jesus, people could only hope for God's mercy and his grace and trust in it. They trusted God, but they didn't know in exactly what they were trusting right? If you look at the Old Testament, it alludes to Christ. It points to Christ, but it does not give all the details. Instead, you had to hope that God knew what he was doing, that God was going to resolve this issue of sin. It was a mystery that had previously been hidden, but it has been revealed through Jesus Christ, and God destined the people who trust in Jesus for glory to share in Christ's glory before time began. That's the wisdom of God. It is eternal. And in verse 8, I see that the wisdom of God has not been understood by the rulers of this world. In fact, in Luke 23, 34, Jesus, as he is on the cross, prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The wisdom of God is the gospel, and the rulers of the world failed to recognize the Savior. In fact, there's irony here. Just like a master chess player who beats you before you've even started the game, or maybe after the first two or three turns, but you don't realize it yet, so God in his infinite wisdom used the rulers of the world who had no idea what they were doing to crucify the Savior of the world, granting salvation to all who would believe. That's the wisdom of God. They played right into his hand, just like in a chess game when you play right into the hand of your opponent. God's wisdom transcends the wisdom of this world. 
So let me ask you a challenge, an action step. I want you to take a second and consider the knowledge that you pursue. It's great to pursue knowledge. Is the knowledge you're pursuing of eternal consequence? If we believe there is wisdom that transcends the wisdom of the world, we should be pursuing that, pursuing that eternal knowledge, knowledge of the Savior. It's only worth pursuing, though, if you can actually achieve it, if you can actually learn something of it. And that's what verses 9 through 10 is all about. Verses 9 through 10 tells us that Christians need to realize you I need to realize that the wisdom of God can at least in part be known. God didn't just have this wonderful wisdom that transcends the wisdom of the world and keep it all to himself and not share it. No, the wisdom of God, at least in part, can be known. Verse 9 tells us that God's plans transcend human understanding. There are elements of God's plans that we cannot fully comprehend. But God reveals a lot to us. In fact, he reveals an awful lot to us, the important parts to us, the parts that we need to know. God's plan, ultimately in verse 10, is revealed through the Holy Spirit. That's what verse 10 tells us. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. What are those things? Look at verse 9. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Salvation is knowable through the spirit of God. What's the coolest thing you know? Think about it for just a second. Maybe you know how to rebuild a 454 big block. That'd be cool. Maybe you know every single player on the 1979 Pittsburgh Steelers Super Bowl championship team. You might. Maybe you know five different languages. The coolest thing you know is the message of salvation. That is the most significant thing you can know, that Jesus Christ died on the cross. No one could comprehend a Savior crucified. What no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God prepared in eternity past for those who love him, the message of salvation. 2 Corinthians 3 verses 15 through 17. If you want to jump over there, you're welcome to. But 2 Corinthians 3, verses 15 through 17 says, Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What Paul is talking about is when you read the Old Testament, when the Old Testament was read in the past, without the Holy Spirit, there were things that were hidden, things that no eye had seen, that no ear has heard. But through the Holy Spirit, through his revelation, God's plan is revealed. In fact, verse 11 goes a little bit further. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 tells us that God is known by his Holy Spirit. 
God is known by the Holy Spirit who is himself God. So this got me thinking as I read verse 11 and really contemplated it. For who has known a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. This got me thinking. What does it mean to know God? So I took a course, probably five years ago now, uh, on C.S. Lewis. It was a fun course. We read his biography. We read a bunch of his short essays. We read a whole bunch of his books. We talked about them. And I learned a whole lot about C.S. Lewis. I do not personally know C.S. Lewis. Catch this distinction. I know a lot of C.S. Lewis, an awful lot of C.S. Lewis. I do not know C.S. Lewis. If I were to meet C.S. Lewis, I'd have a lot to talk about because I've read a lot of his work. But I've never met C.S. Lewis, so I don't know him. Let me take this now and apply it to us. We have God's word. We should read God's word. I am not telling you not to read God's word. You should be reading God's word. This is the book that I read the most by far. You should be in this a lot. But if all you ever do is just read this book, you'll know a lot of God and you won't know him at all. Okay? How do you know someone? By interacting with them. God is known by his Holy Spirit. And how do we interact with the Holy Spirit? Prayer. That's the key. If all you ever do is read God's word and you never spend time with him, you'll know a lot of him and you'll never know him. God's wisdom is more than just head knowledge. It's more than just the facts of this book. It is knowing God himself. We need to spend time knowing God through his Holy Spirit, and the way we do that is prayer. So let me give you an action step. Take a second and evaluate your day-to-day life. Does it reflect personal saving knowledge of God? Do you understand that distinction? There are lots of people who have read lots of the Bible, don't know God. Knowing God is a personal knowledge of God. Why do I believe what's written here? Because I know the writer. I've met him. And I trust him. That's what it means to know God. That's the sort of wisdom that Christians are given access to. We know God because we have met him, because we pray, we spend time with his spirit. Third point in verses 12 through 16. Christians need to realize that God's wisdom should permeate our view of the world. God's wisdom should permeate our view of the world. It shouldn't just be that we have this category of information that we call church information or theology or things about God, and we sort of close it up and we put it in a box and Sunday morning we open up that box and, oh, we should take a couple things out and take them to church with me today. 
we get done with church and we go back home, we put it all back in the box and say, that was useful knowledge for me on Sunday. It's time to go back. No. Christians need to realize that God's wisdom, the gospel, the message of salvation should permeate our view of the world. It's not a library book that you get to return at the end of the day. God's wisdom in verses 12 through 13 is taught to us by the Holy Spirit. The source of God's wisdom is the Holy Spirit. We spend time with the Holy Spirit in prayer. We study God's word. We allow the message of salvation to permeate our day-to-day life. Look at verse 13 with me. In verse 13, what we're going to see is that there is a contrast in how God's wisdom is taught. Verse 13 says, This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Have you ever talked to an expert and listened to their vocabulary carefully and said, yeah, it's clear I don't belong here because none of those words are words I've ever heard before? Why do experts use expert words? Because that's how you explain something with a level of expertise, right? That's, it takes that level of vocabulary to understand that concept. You know, if, if you're working on a car and you say, let's take this doohickey and crank on this majigger, <laughs> we're not going to make much progress. No, you need the right words to explain the right situations. And that's what verse 13 is telling us, that spiritual realities are taught by spirit-taught words. God has given us the words to use. He's told us of our sin. He's told us of grace, of Jesus Christ coming to the cross and paying the penalty for sin. These are spirit-taught words that give us spiritual wisdom that allows us to understand spiritual reality. But, as you might expect, verse 14 tells us that the teaching of the Holy Spirit does appear to be foolishness to the world. It does appear to the world to be, I I don't know what they're talking about. That doesn't make sense to me. Because spirit-taught words describe a situation that the Christian understands. Finally, in verses 15 through 16, we are reminded that the teaching of the Holy Spirit allows the Christian to view the world through the eyes of Christ. And this is what I want to really hone in on and really beat home. We've been talking about the wisdom of Christ. The wisdom of Christ is the gospel. Verses 15 says, The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgment, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The Christian is able to use Christian truths, the wisdom of God, to evaluate the world and is hence qualified to judge. But I want you to notice 
When I say the word judge, what am I talking about? I am not talking about passing judgment on an individual of um, the sort of nature that says, you know, you're a terrible individual. I can't believe you did that. No, the judgment we passed is you haven't met the Savior yet. The wisdom that we possess is the wisdom of the Savior. And we can look and we can say, you haven't been introduced to the Savior yet. Yeah, I don't care about judging the specific things you've done. I know that they're sin because I sin too. But I want to show you the Savior. The teaching of the Holy Spirit allows the Christian to look at the world through the eyes of Christ. And when we look at the world through the eyes of the Christ, I am convinced that we see two things. Forgiven and needing forgiveness. That's the eyes of Christ. Those who are forgiven and those who need forgiveness. Verse 16 says, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Quoting Isaiah 40, verse 13. But we have the mind of Christ. We are Christ's representatives on this world. We are to look at people with the wisdom that we have been given, the transcendent wisdom of the ages that allows us to recognize people who need a savior. Perspective changes everything. I've got a couple of images I want to show you just to sort of hammer in this idea of perspective changes everything. So, is it a vase or is it two faces? Perspective changes everything. Let's go to the next one. This one actually has a name. It's called My Wife and the Old Lady. That was actually the name that the artist had given to this picture. It's an older image painted a long time ago. Do you see them both? Okay. Let's go to the next one. Is it a duck or a rabbit? Perspective changes everything. We have been given wisdom that transcends the world, the gospel, the message of salvation. We have been given access to this wisdom through the Holy Spirit who teaches us we should let this wisdom permeate our view so that when we look out in the world, we see people who need a Savior. And that should drive us to share the wisdom of eternity with those people. So my action step, go get a vision screening. Are you looking at the world through the right lenses? Are you looking at the world looking to see, do people need the Savior? How can I share the gospel? Let's go to our memory verse. It's 1 Corinthians 1.18. We're in a new month. Say this with me. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18. This week, I hope that you go out with the wisdom of the world, recognizing that our world needs a Savior. And we know that Savior. We know him personally. Let's introduce the world to the one that we know is the Savior. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for the wisdom of God, a wisdom that transcends human understanding, a wisdom that draws us to you as our Savior, not as merely a source of information, but rather the Savior of the world. I pray that this week you would push us out of our comfort zone, that we would look at the world as a world in need of a Savior, that we would look at it through the eyes of Christ who gave himself for that world. Father, I pray that you would help us in the basics. Help us to recognize your wisdom transcends the world's wisdom. Help us to recognize that we need to spend time in prayer. It's not just enough to have the head knowledge. And ultimately, help us to look at the world as you would look at the world. I pray that you would help us to share the Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.